Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing audience. It's good to be back. Now, a message from our sponsors. This week, the show is sponsored by Row2K.com, the rowing news website that curates links from around the world. In the news has daily updates. You should bookmark this page and come back frequently. So go to R-O-W-Row2K.com. So Marlene, how's your week been? Actually, it's been pretty good. We're preparing our March content for the Faster Masters Rowing subscribers. So that's kind of what I've been focusing on. And we're not going to tell you what's in the program just yet, but it's going to be a good one. <laughs> There's a small cynical part of me that says, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> the work is always good and interesting. It's my, it's my job to keep the workouts interesting and get you where you need to be. <laughs> Precisely. And switching it up is definitely worthwhile. I think you do get stale when you're doing the same thing over and over and you remember the workout and it hasn't changed much. So yeah, I think I think variety is uh yeah the spice of your your rowing your rowing life. Well and um, and we are getting through the spring. So you know we do have you know in March there are some head races coming up in March and we do have people who are racing 1K, they're starting to get into their spring training and things are starting to get a little bit more specific. So we're moving out of the winter. I shouldn't say the winter phase because it depends which hemisphere you are, but we're moving out of February into March, which starts to you know bring us into new training phases. That's right. We definitely have had some new subscribers from Australia who have their Masters National Championships in May and uh, we, we welcome all of them. It's um. It's, I think I think May is is possibly the earliest 1K racing for or big peak uh, for Masters through the year. Yes, um, I, I think so. And I, I see that we have a comment from Cece Aguda. She's in Florida. There is a Chinook has a training camp going on in Sarasota. So I want to say hello to everyone there. I know lots of those rowers and it would be nice to be with you. It's minus 15 at my house right now. So... <laughs> I don't understand why you choose to live in such a cold climate. I like, I like four seasons, and it's not always cold here. It's just cold sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> but this yeah, is when the this is when the bears go to sleep. <laughs> so. No, you're really selling it to me. We don't have bears. <laughs> you have other creatures that we don't have, though. We do. We have pukekos and we have kiwis, um, and yeah, we have we have a lot of. We'll have, we have we have a lot of creatures that, that yeah yeah uh, and, and, and fine fine cider is made in New Zealand too. There we go. Mm -hmm. Always always good to know that yes. someone a connoisseur. Yes. Now Marlene and I have spent now three years doing our business together, and 
many of our loyal listeners know that we first met when we did a podcast together for my previous um, business when I was working, um, owning uh, Rowing Row Perfect UK. And we've realized that master's rowing has changed quite a lot, even in the small amount of time that we've been working together. And we chose to uh, take one of the I suppose, more charitable aims of our commercial activity is to advocate for Masters Rowing, to start to speak loudly about what could be improved, how the sport could be developed and enriched. There are a lot of things that are possible. And as a result of this, you might remember at the back end of last year, we announced a survey to ask Masters, how's your rowing going? What's happening for you? And today we're going to spend the podcast revealing the report that we have written, which is called The State of Masters Rowing 2022. And this is pretty exciting. It's been actually a very, very big project for us. How many people answered the, the survey, Marlene, from how um, many countries? We have 602 respondents from 32 countries. And the average age when they started to row is also 32. So I thought that was quite interesting. So it really interesting. So what I'm going to do now is I know that some people will be listening to us and other people will be watching us. Um, but what I want to show you is the actual report uh, that we've written and uh, Chrome has lost its ability to capture my screen. That's super unhelpful. Oh, Marlene, can you share share screen and add the report in? Um, uh, the, the report is available on our website. We've basically written a really detailed blog post. It's pinned to the top of our blog, and it's called The State of Masters Rowing. I'm going to be abbreviating that to SOMR, um, because this is a survey that actually we believe we should be able to do over and over every year coming up with new insights into rowing for masters. And I think the interest for you is to read the report and compare it to your own personal situation, whether or not you filled in the research report under one of our over 600 respondents. Um, I think you'll find it interesting because you'll be able to see what is the situation for yourself and how do you compare with the full, um, uh, you know, the, the average of everybody else? So what we're going to do is, Marlene, can you stretch that out so it's full screen? Um, that would be awesome. And what we're going to do is we're just going to roll through the report. As I said, it is available for download, so you can get a PDF yourself and, and you, can, you can see all of the details. So our first question was about who are you and what is your background in rowing so we basically said how long have you been rowing now this is possibly a reflection of our audience but the vast majority have been rowing for over 10 years and as Marlene hinted um, how old were you when you started was our second question um, there are two distinct groups of masters here there are people who learned in high school and university who are 20 years or under when they started. And then there's another significant group who started to row between the ages of 41 and 60. 
Uh, although there is definitely a group that learned to row between 61 and 80 years old. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe we should extend that. We should say 61 plus because I don't want to be judgmental about octogenarians. Maybe, maybe yes. they're 80, yeah, still that, Exactly. I thought that was interesting. And our, our podcast guest a few weeks ago, Dean Smith, actually learned how to row at 80. And he's now the world record holder in the 95 plus age group. So yeah, I think uh, next year we'll extend that out. <laughs> so. We shall. We definitely shall. We then went on to take a look at where people lived around the world. And as we know, the vast majority have come from the English speaking countries with the USA representing over half of our respondents. Um, but also some good, good representation from Australia, the UK, the rest of Europe, Canada and New Zealand. What I thought was interesting, Rebecca, is with our population, so many respondents who were rowing more than 10 years, I think that was another reason um, that the answers were so meaningful, because this, this was a pretty experienced group of people by and large. So I think it, it definitely gives us good representation of the master's population. Precisely. Now, we then ask people, how much do you spend on your rowing each year? And although they responded in their own currencies, we translated it all into a standardized US dollar. And well over half our respondents spend between $500 and $2,000 a year on their rowing. Now, there are outliers, obviously, in, in, in all of these. You know, some people said they really didn't spend anything and some people spent a lot more than $4,000 on their rowing. Um, but I thought that this was a useful question to ask because, like any sport, there are capital costs and there are running costs. So, you know, if you buy a new boat, obviously, if for yourself, you're going to be spending a lot of money in one year. But if you're a member of a club, you have club membership dues, you might have race fees, you might, you know, be spending money to travel, whether it's on petrol or accommodation. You know, there are a lot of you know smaller items which can add up to your overall spend. Yes. And, and I, I think if you're looking at, say, this middle range of spending one thousand to two thousand dollars per year, I mean, that that does represent a pretty solid commitment to the sport. Yeah. And and if I can be bold and a growing commitment. I strongly suspect that more masters are spending a bit more than they used to as they get into the sport. You know, you might buy a new pair of shoes or, you know, a stroke coach or something. Yes, yes. Or, or again, as we come out of COVID, more regattas being held like uh, FISA Masters or the World Masters Games, you know, regattas that we have not been able to go to for a couple of years because I think um, traveling to row and compete is, is also a really growing aspect of master's rowing. Too true. We then compared answers to a couple of questions to dive in in a little more detail. And so we asked people about their training effectiveness. How are you achieving strong results in your training? And what we've done is we've compared the results that people got with how much money they spend. And so it ranges from I've got poor results, I'm disappointed, right through to strong results, I've improved across the board. And you can see here that those people with the poorest results are the people who spend the least on their rowing, uh, generally $1,000 or less. 
and the people who spend the most in this case up to two and a half thousand dollars basically got the strongest results and you kind of feel that you hope that this should be true but this is proof that it is true that investing in the sport in money helps your results yes well and and it represents it represents a, a different level of commitment as well i think because perhaps these people are investing in a training program or they're investing in um, coaching or they're, you know, or they're investing in their gym memberships or things that are going to improve their, their development. So, um, so I thought that was quite interesting to see that, as you said, that's what we would, we would guess, but when you actually see the numbers from a pretty, pretty good, um, population, you know, then it, it shows us, well, then yes, you know, there is a difference in, in the level of commitment financially, as well as in maybe executing the training. Precisely. The next thing we compared um, the success is how your perception of your success is compared with your outing length. So how long do you spend on each training um, day? And here we've got um, the poor results are on the left and then the best results are on the right. And basically there are... Um, four bars, you spend between 30 to 50 minutes, one to one and a half hours, more than an hour and a half or more than two hours. And broadly speaking, most people train between one and one and a half hours for per session. And they are the ones who report the best results. Yes. And I, and I think that that fits in with, um, as coaches, what we see in terms of time commitment per session. And, you know, if, if we're looking at a session time from when you leave the dock to when you're back at the dock, you know, 75 to 80 minutes definitely seems like, you know, you can get a good amount of work done in that period of time. We then asked people about how often they trained. Um, and broadly speaking, most people train between two and three times a week. So these bar charts are um, one day a week on the left, ranging up to five to seven days a week on the right, and then they're cross-correlated with the results. And you can read those when you download the report. The next question is about, do you plan your training? How long does it take you to plan your training for the month? And there was a bit of a shock finding here that 39% um, of masters do not plan their training. So again, as a market researcher, I'd be wanting to go in and sort of ask more detail here, but um, I don't know whether this is because somebody else is doing the planning for them, although coach does the planning um, is one of the answers that we offered. Um, but, you know, most people would spend between 10 minutes and an hour a month planning out what they're going to be doing. Yes, I, th I thought this was interesting, too, that 39% of masters do not plan their training. So the, the first thing that came into my mind is uh, what types of people are, are answering this question this way? How many of them are competitive people? Are many of them uh, people who row regularly, but they're really focusing on fitness, so they don't necessarily follow a training plan, but they may be exercising. So we don't know what the differences are there. But that I think that's an area that would be interesting to, to learn more, uh, more about, for sure. 
Then we looked into more detail about land training and cross-training frequency. And in aggregate, most people train three to four times a week when you add up your water training and your land training or cross-training. And we then asked how or whether this changes from winter to summer. And the short answer is most people say it stays the same which is mm -hmm. the top bar and the pale blue on the bottom the right of the screen. And then the next block is, yes, some people train a lot more in summer than in winter. Which I suppose you'd expect. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Well, in summer when you have more daytime, daylight hours, maybe people can sometimes do more than one session in some days or they have vacation time and more time. Yeah. Then we looked on to the detail of what sort of land training people do and cross training. Um, sorry, I've skipped, I've skipped a whole one. That's my fault. Yeah. Trends in rowing formats. What sort of boats do you train in? So the vast majority, uh, you could answer more than one in this. So this isn't that, you know, the totals don't add up to just uh, the total number of respondents. Most people train in a single skull and on a rowing machine. And mm -hmm. quite a large number of people also do crew boats, whether they're small boats or big boats, as in, you know, fours and quads and eights, um, which is kind of what you'd expect. And there's a nice, um, modest number who use coastal rowing boat or a SUP board. And then people who do skiing, biking, H-I-I-T, erg, swimming, lots, lots of other things that people mm -hmm. do. And we asked them about what sorts of actual training outings they do. Do they do low rate, high rate, you know, drills and skills? And the top three answers are mid-rate pieces of between 22 to 28 strokes a minute, race pace pieces, and drills and skills. Yeah, so not a lot of Category 6 rowing here. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, our 16, 18, 20 strokes per minute range. That's very true. Moving on to land training, what sorts of cross training and land training do masters choose? And body conditioning, cross training, weights, yoga and general gym work are the most popular. But there are also people who talk about running, skiing and swimming and uh, cycling and Pilates. So, you know, kind of as you'd expect, um, but a pretty strong core of uh, cross training activities going on. How about coaching? As we said, one of our big uh, challenges is, do you work with a rowing coach? Mm -hmm. And the bar at the top here says, no, I don't get coached. Then the next very small bar says, I infrequently use coaches. And then the third bar says, yes, occasionally once a month. Now, as a rowing coach, getting coached once a month really is not very frequent at all. And this adds up to basically nearly half of our survey respondents work with a coach and around 25% stopped working with a coach during the past year and they self-coach instead. So this is the second score here. Um, people choosing to coach themselves, mm -hmm. which is the top pale blue bar, or no, I still work with a coach is the second bar. Yes. I thought that was interesting. I mean, that there are a number of people who are rowing very regularly, but not getting any coaching. So, you know, I think this is, this is definitely an area um, 
of attention and you know how how do we improve the access of coaching and the methodology of coaching because there is virtual coaching and video review as well as personal coaching on on the water so i thought that was quite you know quite a large percentage of people who do not have access to coaching then we went on to look at camps because we know that um, a lot of people enjoy rowing camps as a sort of form of vacation but also a form of intensive training how many camps did people do last year um was it one two or three um 12 did two camps 24 did one camp and 59 did none and did the camp have a specific focus? And this came through very strongly as being either technique, which is the longest pale blue bar, or race preparation. Uh, the bar at the bottom says no camp, which is the, the second most popular reply here. Mm -hmm. And then we sort out intentions about, do you want to go on camp this year? And basically, 26% said yes, 31% said maybe, and 39% said no. And I think we'll probably see, again, coming out of the COVID year, I would expect that this may have influenced the, the maybe group because, again, with restrictions being unclear and travel plans being unclear, but hopefully as um, situations open up and regatta schedules and camp schedules return to normal, that num those numbers will increase. I hope so. The next section is all about the club or group that you row with. And we do recognize that there are some independents who, who you know, row in a virtual group or don't belong to a particular club. But I asked, is your club or training group larger or smaller than a year ago? And 22% said it's smaller, 30% said larger, and 39% said it stayed the same. We then went on to ask about novices um, because learning to row and adding new people into this wonderful sport of ours is a, a particular part of our advocacy you know how easy it is it for somebody to come and learn and then to join a group and so I asked how many times a year do you run a learn to row course and one two or three times is the majority of answers but there are quite a few people who run it every other month or monthly some do more than 20 learn to row classes a year, which I found amazing. Mm -hmm. And a slightly sad little bar at the bottom that says we don't offer a learn to row program, which I would encourage those people to, to look at reviewing that if they can. We then went on to say, did you notice more people learning to row for the first time in 2021? And Basically, 40% of respondents said, yeah, there were more people learning to row. 20% um, said fewer and 29% said the same. And then, of course, the key is after the learn to row class, did these people join your group? So the red bar chart on the right of your screen says what percentage join the regular training group after the course finishes? And the longest bar is between 10 to 30% of the participants. Does that square with your experience, Marlene? Um, my experience at our club is a little bit different. I would say we're more in the 85% to 90% range. Um, but again, it can vary. There's so many different 
ways that you can run learn to row and mm. um you know i think it's that that's sort of in, in i think it's an, an area for further research and you know if we could find out well what what were the obstacles to continue rowing you know like um because every club has a different type of schedule. Is it a scheduling issue? Is it a time when the classes are available for people? Maybe there's, um, it's it could be restricted to team boats or to singles, and that may or may not fit with with what a person would like to do. But um, you know, I I think for the long term benefit of of our sport, you know, I think we would like to see those percentages grow. And, sure. you know, I think I think for clubs that are investing in learn to row that that's a really strong area to look at how come, you know, what are the methods that are bridging learn to row to the club program, you know, and, and what, you know, what would the club consider a successful, a, a successful outcome there. So, you know, those are definitely things to look at on, on the club level, too. So. You know, I'd like to see that those numbers grow. Racing. A lot of us enjoy racing. So we started asking about um, race frequency. And the first thing is, did you race last year? And 9% didn't. 17% said sometimes. 70% said yes. And then we asked last year how many times you actually got to go to a race. And some people went more than six times, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then the second bar says four to six, then three, two, and one. So a lot of us actually, despite, you know, COVID and everything, they actually managed to get out and race, which, you know, for me, that's encouraging because, you know, it was very, very hit and miss. Um, and I know very different in different parts of the world. Yes, I, I thought this the numbers here were were quite impressive, you know, given all of the obstacles <laughs> that we had in 2021, um, you know, participating in physical regattas or virtual regattas, you're still getting out there and, and racing. So, you know, more than six times is that that's quite a lot, I think, in a year. Our next questions were about comparisons with previous years. Did you race more or less than normal? And the vast majority said less. But then we asked again, how, in a normal year, how many times would you race? And, you know, nearly half said they would normally race six plus times a year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it looks like a good result, but it's not normal. But, hey, we can, we can hope. <laughs> data and rowing data is a topic that Marlene and I cover quite often. But we wanted to find out are people even collecting data on their rowing? So this red pie chart says, um, are you collecting it? So 18%, 19% said sometimes, 25% no, and the rest said yes. And then we asked whether or not your data extends to your race results, which is on the left, and your general training on the right. So as far as race results go, 30% said no, they don't analyze their uh, race results. 52% yes, and the rest are sometimes. By comparison with your training, 31% said sometimes, 38% yes, and 29% said no. Yes. I think so. that is a really important area. 
Yes, ab absolutely. And it gives us some information, for example, you know, what are the tools people are using? Are they easy to use? What are the um, obstacles? How can can these this information help manufacturers make things easier for people? So, you know, those are all, you know, reduce friction and help people get more information about their training. Exactly. Our last question on the data is, how frequently do you collect data? 30% uh, do it every time they train, 46% sometimes, and 34% said never. And we asked explicitly about, do you have data interpretation challenges and can you describe them? Um, and 27.5% said yes, but I am not sure what it means. 58, 59% said no, they have no challenges at all. 6.5% have technical issues. Our last section is to do with perceived challenges and issues around their rowing. What are the big challenges for your club group? And these range from coaching, which is the longest bar, but also cover getting new members, equipment, getting support from the organization, fundraising, finding people to row with, um, and finding time to row. And I'm sure that you know a lot of people answered with more than one answer for these particular issues, but I'm sure that those resonate uh, with the reality of life as a master's rower. Then we went on to ask about your own personal challenges. And these in now include things like injuries, health issues. Coaching is a very strong one. My age, getting support from federations, but also equipment, understanding different training sessions, mental, personal time. So all of them are familiar challenges uh, to a lot of us. Yes, again, we... uh, yeah, coaching comes in again quite high here as a challenge. Yeah. We then asked about COVID related challenges because, of course, we had a very odd year last year. And most people basically said, I ended up doing a lot more land training. A lot of people said they ended up doing less training because of COVID. People had challenges with equipment and restrictions, you know, e.g., the number of people that were allowed to train uh, and the new rules that came out. And a sad small proportion said, I just had no motivation. We last question was about how COVID has affected your organization or club. And a lot of people said they had fewer members and fewer social opportunities, whether that was events, training or races. Um, people noted rowing in singles, the new regulations, financial difficulties were quite strong. But also, you know, there's a significant group that said, no, it had little or no effect on our club, which is which is, uh, I suppose, quite nice. Yes, absolutely. And that is the end um, of the report. And as I've said, we will link in the show notes to where you can download the full report. It's on our blog, fastermastersrowing.com forward slash blog. And I've pinned it to the top there. Um, and if you are an organization and you're interested in the raw data, uh, we obviously anonymize this, so it won't come back to any individual identifiers. But, you know, if you want to get the raw data for Ireland or um, I can't do it by city, I can only do it by country or by age group. If you're mm -hmm. particularly 
interested in that, uh, please just get in touch um, and we'll have a conversation. Yeah, so so very interesting. I mean, I think I think big big takeaways: the need for coaching, the challenge of coaching, and um, that people want more coaching. I think that that was a very very big takeaway, um, and that the population is so generally in you know the people who race are really interested in in racing. So of course those two things go hand in hand because. If you would like to perform better in racing, certainly having more coaching helps you improve your your um, performance. Oh, for sure. And uh, remember, you know, personal perceptions in you know progress are exactly that. They are personal. And again, tying back in with data recording, if you don't record your data, you can't tell except by how it feels as to whether or not you think you're going better or worse. And worse for some of us means we are going slower but you expect that as you age so i think there's a lot of ameliorating factors that are hidden behind the aggregate headlines yes absolutely and i mean it, it seems like with rowing data also that you know for the manufacturers who may be interested in this you know can they simplify things are there you know because like anything you know there are people who are very good with technology and they can really dig into it. And they're, they're very, very handy with computers and programs, but there are people who perhaps are not that skilled with managing data. You know, are there ways that those data sets can be reduced to a simpler version that still give really, really good, valuable information, but more easily accessible. So. Yeah, I think that's a, a very valid challenge and an important one for us to overcome as a sport. Now, before we leave, I want to show you my rowing photo of the week. And this is Lisbon and was submitted by Nune Silvestre. And you can see both coastal and fine boats all getting going in a lagoon that's right underneath that huge bridge in Lisbon um, with lots of masked and unmasked individuals enjoying their rowing of a weekend. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio for the week of the 24th of February. Thank you for joining us. Stick with us. Please tell your friends. And if you have the motivation, please leave us a review on your podcast app because it helps other people to find us and join us in the future. Till next Absolutely. Time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Until next week.